Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. Today, we are terribly excited to bring you an actually, for once, well-timed conversation with the wonderful Jonas Liverod. That's my attempt at Swedish. Jonas Liverod. This one has been a while coming, but it actually fits perfectly now. Because already here on Friday, April 20th, man, he has a uh, solo show opening at the uh, great Steinlands Berliner Gallery in Stockholm. So, as awesome as this conversation we're about to play for you is... It's always better to go and see the work in real time and space. So if uh, you're anywhere near Stockholm, then I suggest you go see the show. As a bonus, while you're there, you can also have a chat with Jonas, who is just a really sweet and open-hearted fellow. So that comes highly recommended as well. Today, it's all good news from the Cultural Bandwidth Headquarters. I do feel that Jonas needs no introduction. His work is excellent and lively. And uh, we actually do a pretty good job of covering things in our conversation. So I will get out of your way and go back to writing my applications for the uh, Danish Arts Foundation due on Thursday. Did you finish yours? So that's it. Please enjoy my conversation with Jonas Leverod. Uh, I just want to bring up uh, two things here before anything else. Sure. First of all, <laughs> uh, just before I arrived here, so we're at Glyptoteket, which is like I'm honored and bloody. Um, it's joyful to be here and having this conversation. This is one of my favorite places in Copenhagen. It's uh, I've been here I don't know how many times. It's uh, we're sitting like in the the jungle room I would say. It's like this big open warm space and it's full of uh, well it's got the whole 18th century vibe in here. <laughs> it does no? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's got anyway. the uh, rich brewer money. Vibe. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, but uh, kids, there's also a bunch of really lovely, lovely uh, sculpture here and uh, the rooms are just amazing to walk through. Uh, so please, I'm trying to support and promote the Glyptotheket to all you people. But I wanted to, before I arrived here, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, I just, uh, she called and uh, I said I'm in Copenhagen. Uh, and she said, oh, my only memory of... Uh, the train station in Copenhagen is that I saw a dove explode. <laughs> exactly. That and, story and like, warrants a little more information. Like, yeah, exactly. Wait, so that's where we're coming. So and then we had a little discussion on the, like it takes about from the Copenhagen uh, Central Station to Glyptek. It takes maybe seven minutes. So we tried during these seven minutes to find out how the hell did the dove explode. We know there's like... Near train lines, there's very heavy electricity. True, but birds don't tend to be uh, affected by it because they're not touching no. anything else. Exactly. So we were thinking, she was thinking, well, not we, she was thinking that this dove must have been in contact with another dove which had somehow uh, was connected to the ground. Right, touching some metal or something. This is like, um, we had no clue. But was it on the tracks? 
So she says suddenly she she was there uh, for some reason uh, and suddenly she heard an explosion behind her and there were all these feathers and smoke coming <laughs> and basically smoke it, it, too. it did not fry it exploded. She's very clear on that. Do you know I, anything about this? I think the mystery actually deepens only because when I was let's say 12 you know how boys at 12 all, all kids but especially boys have a tendency to be a little bit evil. They they play with the dark side, let's say. No, I was wild, but not evil. Well, I know all you others were. I was I, the sweetest kid in town. Well, I wasn't also... I was I, I was not one of the people who was fascinated by being mean to animals, but there you were those You pulled the kids. legs of uh, butterflies and things like that? <laughs> That's terrible. Not. But a friend of mine told me that if you give Pepto-Bismol to uh-huh. a bird, which is the anti-acid foaming yes. kind of thing, or Alka-Seltzer, I don't remember which one, if you somehow like get that into a bird, they will explode. Oh, really? Now, this doesn't okay, sound true um, to me. As an adult, I'm going to go ahead and say this doesn't sound true. Pietro, I hope you're listening to this. Alka-Seltzer <laughs> might have done the trick. <laughs> so and if there was a 12-year-old really running away really fast during this bird explosion. Terribly nasty you know, Danish kid. Well, yeah, kids at 12 are really nasty in general. I remember certain kids really, like, if you think back about it, it was fairly psychopathic shit they were doing. Yeah. Uh, and it was terrifying. I remember being that age, too, and being like, what the fuck are these kids yeah, doing? Yeah. But you're not old enough to know to be like, hey, you asshole. You know, you're, no. like, you're trying to figure out, like, is this is this what people do? Like, what, what, what's going on here? Or you run home and cry. That, too. You sit in the corner and cry because you you caught this wonderful butterfly, and then you show it to the neighbor's kid, and he says, aha, uh-huh, and he pulls off the legs and walks away. Yeah. I remember a kid too. He used to wrap his. He liked to wrap his cat in a blanket and swing it around, and they didn't hurt the cat. But the cat didn't think it was very nice. No, 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 no. I we we, we can't go any further into this. Yeah, it's going to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, exploding birds. The yeah. mystery deepens. So uh, yeah. if we had a live call-in show, I'd say call in now with your exploding. I know, birds but stories. we we this could turn into a competition. I might actually, if if I can get around to it, I'll make a competition. Uh, the one with the best answers might win a surprise gift sent anywhere in the world from uh, Liverad Land. That if you have huge. a good uh, hypothesis on the exploding dove. All right. Where are they going to send the answer to? To you or to me or to both? Um, generally, just, uh, you know, smoke puffs. Um, you have to send the answer by pigeon. By pigeon, naturally. And if you don't have any pigeons, you can take a pheasant. Uh, it's okay with a crow or anything else as well. And while we're going off on these tangents, I have another tangent. I just saw a book of all photography done by pigeons. Uh, really? In the 1905, I think it was, mm-hmm. a guy patented a, a pigeon camera, and it was used extensively for a number of years as a spying tool until other technology overtook it. But there was a short period in which the pigeon camera was a top-of-the-line spy and surveying tool. I could, it's a drone? Yeah, essentially. But a smart drone? It's a drone that... The, think, uh, the thinking drone. Exactly. And, uh, you know, pigeons are eminently trainable, so... Oh. Well, uh, I, uh, as I live uh, in the deep countryside, uh, I, I hang out with a lot of animals. And uh, the beaver who lives behind my watermill, he or she, I do not know, but has made this beautiful version of uh, Brancusi's uh, Endless Column, Whoa. which I'm currently showing as part of my collection at the uh, Museum of Art in Skövde. That's cool. It's pretty cool, huh? I mean, I, I, mean, I love Brancusi's Endless Column. And it's like having an intern working for free. Uh, 
pretty much so, intern. and I take the credit for it as well. <laughs> All right, you didn't co-sign that. Oh. Um, so I think a good place also to start here before, mm-hmm. well, if I can get a word in here. Uh, uh, we've actually met before. We've met before. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But it's many years this ago, is, and it's not really, we I didn't really meet. This. But I worked at uh, the frame, the big frame shop here in town. Wow. And with Klaus Giroe. Exactly. I worked there for 10 years. So I believe I've framed some of your drawings. Wow, that, this is amazing. I love this place. And Klaus Grohe, um, he felt like Big Papa Bear. He'd just take you like into your arms. You just want to go there and be around him. I think it's one of the best frame shops in the world. Yeah. Top 20, it's yeah. got to be. Um, and I loved working there, but I so I framed some of your huge drawings. Yeah. And there's a good and a bad thing about working in a place like that. Yeah. And that is perfectly illustrated in your case because I saw a lot of work I maybe would not see otherwise, mm. but I only saw the work that got framed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. So as soon as we get in contact and I start yeah. looking at your website, I yeah. realize there's way more shit going yeah. on than just those drawings. Exactly. So I had you down as a uh, a drawer. Well, I mean, this is a general. Uh, it, it fits most uh, folks, but I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm deeply materially unfaithful, and uh, the drawings. I, I I loved them very much. They were a huge part of my life. Uh, but uh, they were certainly not the whole picture. And I, last night I was part of this group show in uh, Gothenburg and I discussed the problem of, uh, of legacy or whatever you want to call it with a, a, very, uh, well, uh, a young, very smart uh, gallerist up there. They got this, these Italians got this Neven gallery. Mm. Semi, um, yeah, whatever. But um, we were discussing like, what will remain and is that what remains interesting because of course because she was also discussing that she'd really i was impressed she'd done her homework very well she really looked me up she didn't just go- do google images not or, like me or check <laughs> in- instagram like most people yeah. but she'd actually gone deeper and um, i i do find this a problem sometimes that well i don't know i i suppose that's all about vanity whatever you know gets left behind but i don't think that the work left behind will look very interesting because you'll have just like these satellites, flotsam and jetsam of one drawing framed over there and one little piece over there and, and you know, it'll, there's no juice in that. There's a major problem in lack of archiving of exhibitions. Yeah. You know, because an exhibition uh, essentially gets splintered and divided as soon as it comes yeah. off the uh, out of the space it's installed yeah. in and there's very, very little kind of overviews of that so mm-hmm. i can see a bunch you know the, the best you have an install shot yeah. but you don't really have any sort of way to engage with the 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 way it's set up who set it up the thoughts you had right yeah. then and there when putting it up and i can see you're off the wall you have pl- pieces all over the place yeah. installation maybe there's one frame work but there's also tape from the ceiling to the floor and you know yeah. all this sort of stuff and that makes uh, you know it's exciting to look at these shots but yeah. it's not the same as going there no no I'm, but this is a constant problem and sometimes uh, i mean for certain artists it's it's fine Either they're very consequential, they mean um, you'll you'll they have a very defined line of work, and uh, it's not a problem. You, you can see three of their pieces, and you will 
comprehend the Jeff Walls of us. More or less, yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah, and that's all right. And and some people's works. Uh, I mean, I'm just jolly happy. I'm not a sound artist, you know. I mean, th- I mean, <laughs> at story. least I make stuff which you can take photos of. So I, I shouldn't right. complain too much. But and you can take home. And you can take. Certainly, not all of them, but so, some for sure, definitely. To some degree or another. Yeah, no, but I mean, I'm a, I am I, I consider myself these days a maker of things. But did you start out in two dimensions? Did you start out with drawing and painting and that was it? Yeah, like, so on the way down here uh, from wherever I came from, uh, I've been listening to your uh, podcast mm-hmm. to listen to uh, how also how you do your uh, conversations i would rather call them because you certainly take a big part in them which i really enjoy and you 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 constantly get on to uh tal eres or johan furåkers back about uh, what they were doing as kids and how they started it's very hard and i thought about this one how how did one start with anything really and it seems to me like it's like you don't stop we all start kind yeah. of the same way it's just yeah. some people don't really stop true true that true that uh i mean I have to say that there, I had that flaky moment between, I'd say, maybe 11 and 14, 15, mm. when both reading as well as drawing and making things really went down. And I think that's the moment when most people stop. But then I wouldn't say I didn't, to- I didn't stop totally, but it went down. And then I sort mm. of took it up again. And, mm. and then it got really took off like when i was a teenager but that's the moment i'm interested in what was it that caused it to come back yeah because that's the thing like i actually lost it until i was about 20 yeah i started late again and the only reason i started again essentially was because i went to a very good public school that had a lot of arts programs great and i realized pretty quickly that i was not going to go down a um math science uh, any of those routes so while casting about for things it actually came in through ceramics. I started yeah. doing ceramics again and was like, oh, this, I remember making this, making this stuff. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. I think like there's a moment which I, 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 I have a great relation to my mom. She's been a big uh, support and influence. She, she shout out to your mom. Big shout out to my mom. Always big shout outs to my mom. Uh, but uh, no, but she's she's not. She doesn't come from art. She has no original relation to art. Yes, she was an academic, and yes, she was reading tons. But there was no visual knowledge in that sense in the family. Um, but she supported these things, and she said pretty early on that she had been talking to a friend of hers and looking at me. Mm. And this friend said, "Like, I feel so sorry for Jonas. You know, it's like uh, his brothers, Jesper and Jerk." They can do pretty much anything in their life. They could, they could turn into whatever, but Jonas can only become an artist, and that's so hard. And it's like they're looking at these little kids who's uh, like sitting there who yeah, doesn't know him. Poor himself. devil. Yeah, and 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 nobody was really. And I thought it was really a heartfelt thing to like think because there's no choice for that guy. Right, they I'm were not, genuinely concerned. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna say that. Uh, a potential god pointed his or her uh, golden finger at me and said, thou shall make art. No, you can always change. But sure, the tendencies have been pushing in that direction all my life, yeah. Mm. Well, I think that, um, you know, we do get subtle messages throughout our life that Mm. it's probably not a good idea to continue with art. And I also grew up with a family that was very supportive that never once told me like, yeah, you may want to reconsider. You know, they may have told me like, 
it's going to be tough, but they didn't yeah. say like, yeah, you shouldn't do that, you know, and they really yeah. encouraged me the whole way. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't get that encouragement. True. Really, really much. I mean, uh, I come from a very supportive background, maybe more than I understood. I was very naive in that sense. Probably. It was much later that I understood that a lot of my friends had had a much harder relation to try to get their families to accept and understand what they were doing. Right, or even just to like subtly back them up, just to say like, all right, we got you while you try this. Yeah. I mean, at times even to an extent of foolishness, like uh, the beginning of my so-called career, I I mean, I, I left the art academy very early. I was uh, also a little like a whisk kid, like a little, what do you call it? Uh, I I came running out of art academy at the age of 24, which is in my, well, I was pretty young, 24 year old. I thought it was a bit early. I should have been a bit older, but um, I had a, I came out as a little uh, local star from the academy, but I had no clue on how to exist within the art world. And for those first years, my at that time, huge self-confidence in, together with my mom's, uh, I mean, total support of this. I mean, I was totally broke. I had no exhibitions and there was nothing really looking very well for me. But I, I just believed in this was the most important. It was important to the world. There is that ego thing, which is actually quite important also to get yeah. you through the dark times. Exactly. I had a teacher who was uh, who, who said once, like, yeah, you know, you have to have an ego because if you're driving cabs at 3 a.m. just to pay the rent, you have to think it's important. Exactly. If you don't have that, if it's not important, then yeah. you're going to fucking give it up because it's going to be hard. I mean, the, the, the doubt and at times despair I have at this ripe old age, uh, if I would have been like this when I was like 25, I couldn't have got through it. Yeah, that's true. But now it's also good. I, I, I kind of like that old big old doubt now. Yeah. It's like uh, it does help to... Um, <laughs> well, that's some adult shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're just kind of like, fuck, what is this? What am I doing? I, 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 I promised myself not to be much grumpy grandpa in this uh, conversation. Mm. So. I'll, I'll take on the grumpy grandpa mantle right. today. But I mean, it does jump straight into our conversation about now, which I am actually trying to focus more on the show. I do spend a lot of time hammering on about what it was like when you were 14. Yeah. But in, it's interesting, but also who gives a fuck in a sense, you know? Yeah. But it seems to me, and this is me totally projecting myself into the photos I've seen of mm-hmm. you and your work, mm-hmm. that you live, uh, you live your work. You're not just a person who gets up at 9 a.m., goes and paints until 3, gets a cook, yeah. you know, and goes home. You actually – so tell me if I'm right, but it seems like you Com- live it. Yeah. This is it, – it's an extension of you as an individual, not necessarily a job, a practice Certainly. or whatever. And that's why I also found it – I find uh, for me it's very problematic when I uh, hear people talk about my art practice. Mm. For me, that's totally alien. I have no – this is not separated in any type of way. Mm. And I'm not going to be an asshole about this, but it, for me, it just it sounds like you're distancing yourself from the actual work. Like it's a job. Like you've chosen a career. Yeah, uh, I mean, practice is the most unsexy of terms. I mean, the art world has a lot of unsexy terms. And uh, like discussing your work as being a practice is like, come on. It's clinical. It is. Uh, I, I just think we have to think about language as well. I mean, I love language, and it's very important how we... I don't know. I mean, w- of course I chose art because of uh, all the helicopters and incredible amounts of money, which I'm bathing around in. And the sex. And the sex. But beyond that, 
there was some sort of reason from the beginning and should still be that there it is to fall in love with the world and then you can't really like do you have to continuously think about why are you doing this and how what how do you actually label what you do and if you're doing is a practice well i am i'm not sure you think about that one <laughs> well that's one of the tough things about what I do here on the show yeah. because as a person, I do like to label and categorize yeah. things. That's yeah. just my personality. Yeah. But at a certain point, I realize sometimes artists look at me like, what the fuck, yeah. dude? I got, I don't, you know, like this isn't about naming or no. categorizing. No. It's just, it's a thing that is beyond that. It's yeah. a thing that exists in a state of flow or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond language. And that's one of the problems I have is I'm constantly like, well, what does it mean? You know, what, why are we doing this? You know, and doesn't, that, there isn't necessarily an answer to that. No. I mean, I, I, I used to be a big reader of a American magazine, which you might know, The What's Believer. That? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's from San Francisco. Uh, yeah, 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 San Francisco. Very hard to get hold of in Scandinavia. They didn't bother to send too many over here and not regularly, but fantastic uh, magazine. Uh, and anyway, at one stage, I read a, a conversation between two uh, writers. One of them said, like, do you know what these people in, like, the art world have? The other one said, no, what? Yeah, they have this thing called artist statement. It's like... Uh, it's like half an A4 of writing, and that sums up everything they do. Can you believe that? And the other guy said, no way, that's not true. It's like, yeah, it's true. It's all there. It's all there. And I thought about this a lot. I mean, we this struggle to like explain to the world what you do within uh, 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 that half A4. Who else gets it? Who asks a musician, come on, let's me, let me see your musician statement? That proves who you are. And Think about that for even like soccer. Yeah. If you play soccer, does anyone ever say, I need you to go ahead and write me a defense yeah. of your reason for playing soccer or else I can't take you seriously at all. Exactly. <laughs> and your reason for playing soccer cannot be longer than half an A4. Right. And you they have, have to be summarize. fairly original. You have to write it different than the other guy over there because you are an individual as a soccer player. At the time I took this, uh, I, I really thought a lot about the uh, artist statement and I did, uh, I figured out, I want, it was a bit tongue in cheek, of course, but I wanted an artist statement I could dance to. So I made this, uh, like, um, together with a friend who's a great music producer, uh, I wrote the text and then we sort of remade the uh, Daft Punk's uh, G-Funk tune teachers. Mm-hmm into a version which was mine where it was basically like he sang it too so you could d- dance to the g-funk while listening to what my stuff was about i like that me too that's why i wanted to mention it i don't know where that mp3 is anymore i was but gonna was say good. on your website you should have on your about section just that sound clip exactly um so now i brought it up here publicly it will be back online whoever comes up with that exploding dove theory will get a hand knitted little envelope with an uh, uh, usb stick with an mp3 of my uh, artist statement in there i hope and to god that you know this show is big enough that you actually get flooded <laughs> in exploding dove theories <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, I do think uh, there was something that popped up there in the middle of that, and that mm. it comes back to what I was talking about earlier about what's hard about being an adult mm. because it's the same thing with ambition as an artist, yeah. right? Because we're stuck in a loop of wanting to make as much art as possible, right? Yep. yep. Which involves making a living off of art yep. because otherwise you have to concern yourself with that. Certainly. Uh, which involves having to have a certain amount of ambition and business sense. Certainly. Which involves a certain amount of planning. Which involves a certain amount of, uh, you know, writing and selling, and uh, it's all true. And all of these steps are getting farther and farther away from the desire to make art as much as possible. Yeah. Well, in general, but I mean, we can't complain too much. Uh, well, yeah, we can complain. Everybody we can, can and we can't. <laughs> no, but I mean, of course, obviously, my day-to-day -day routines. Uh, it's not like I'm hanging around the studio making art 24/7. I mean, at least half my time goes to administration or 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 other type of like a digital work which I mean not everyone understands the, 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 like the, the major part of a contemporary artist's life is not like uh, hang around uh, the studio uh, drinking red wine and uh, checking out the beaver uh, making your works although that does happen but uh, yeah anyway we're, we're I'm not gonna ramble too much on that but sure it's uh Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, and that's the thing I'm struggling with right now is figuring out because I am not. Uh, I'm not in any sort of position where I can financially rely on art making. No. So I'm in that phase too, where you're constantly kind of like yeah. trying to, you know, for lack of a better word, hustle. Yeah. And try to like figure out how can I have the most amount of time to do this, and how much time should I invest in other financial means? How much am I willing to give up today? Yep. To maybe get back tomorrow. Sure, sure. I mean, it's what I used to call the, my cowboy economy. Uh, now I'm doing fairly well financially. I mean, compared to artists. Helicopters. Lots of helicopters. Uh, now, but I mean, sure, if you, if you take any other business, I mean, I, I don't have... I'm, but I'm doing okay hmm. with money. But in, in the past, uh, people always ask me how I survived. It was very hard to tell them because it was this really patchy You're like, thing. I don't really know how it exactly. works. It just somehow works. Because I was like patching things together into this and it was really hard to explain. It's like, I'm not trying to be secretive or romantic here. I just don't know exactly how it works. Yeah. It just, uh, and of course that desperation is not, it's a hard thing. I don't really, there's nothing romantic about worrying about the rent. Yeah. And like in a weird way, I think. It appears that you, at some point, let's just say you're Frank Geary, right? You're a millionaire yeah. now. That sometimes you start romanticizing the chaos, yeah. and the, you know, and that's part of remembering that, like, right now is now. This yeah. is, you know, yeah. like I can't really count on tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, we're here to make art right now because that's what we want to do, and have the incredible privilege to be able to in sure. some way. Sure. Uh, and then maybe not overthink it. But these are the kind of things that just keep coming up to me as a, uh, a somewhat adult human yeah. being. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. I think it's really, really hard to keep a practice up. And you know, I keep thinking about the fact that whenever I have a show or something, some deadline, I manage to make a lot more work than when I don't, yeah. which makes me wonder, like, isn't, aren't I supposed to be making work constantly? Yeah. Regardless of deadlines? <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't that the point to get out of the world of deadlines? Somehow, yeah. I mean, although I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing you have tons of deadlines as well. I, I certainly have like a, a bunch of deadlines. Um, uh, I sort of lost this one right now, so I'm just trying to sort of slowly get back to what we were talking about. <laughs> well, I have another question. Which I, 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 go ahead. 
But just to, to my defense, uh, I have drunk at least a liter of coffee before this interview, but I drove also like 300 kilometers after having, uh, you know, I'm a countryside eccentric these days. I don't hang out in cities much, but yesterday I, I, I had to be the socialite of Gothenburg, mm. and that included a lot of drinking, because that's what Gotham, people in Gothenburg do. That's what people... So I'm... I'm, I'm I might lose Julius Eastman's name, and I might lose track and fade in and fade out. But well, the good news is that this can be edited, <laughs> in worst case. But I have to say that I, I really appreciate uh, also from the, the interview with you on the excellent Swedish pod, Danielsson uh, Karlsson. Shout out to Jenny Danielsson and Oscar. Woo! Woo! Yep, Oscar. Yeah. Uh, no, but you were talking about that you do do not edit, and I really love that. I love uh, when the mistakes and the hums and the, these when you get lost in thought. These are like part of, when you sound too much like uh, it. It's all smoothed out into a smart conversation. There's you still lose the the intimacy of mm. it. Well, that's part of the goal is that when I when I moved to Denmark, I had gone to art school in the U.S. Yeah, and I missed. The kind of discussions you have between people making art. Yeah. And they are off the cuff. They're of the moment. Yeah. They are messy. They're yeah. sometimes smart. They're sometimes incredibly dumb. They're, you know, they're all yeah. these things. And that's what I kind of wanted to do here. Yeah. Because artists are constantly being boxed yeah. by people who are writing these uh, these A4 statements, as we just spoke about. But also just the interviews, you know... Uh, the smart people have taken over a lot of the discourse about art. And there's a lot of smart artists, but we're not all smart in that sense. No, and there's, there's a certain amount of confusion about smartness. I will, uh, without arrogance, say that I'm a pretty smart guy. Mm. I'm uh, thereby not saying that I have to make smart art pieces all the time. I mean, art is not defined by being smart. Also, I, I have to be clear about this. The Danes have understood this. The Swedes still have an issue with uh, a sense of humor, confusing it with dumbness. Hmm. It's so, seen low class or something like low, yes, low very rent. Weird. Uh, yeah, like there's, and I, I find that, uh, okay, I'm going to keep this uh, freak flag uh, flying high, but it's very, I mean, a sense of humor is the highest form of intelligence. I mean, a sign of intelligence. There I is. can back that one up because I have an incredibly hard time making art that's funny. Yeah. It is so hard. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't even have to talk about slapstick. It's, it's, there's a, a, an odd, odd quirkiness to things. I mean, you can be really smart and funny. Hmm. It's hard, yeah. Well, it's like a lot of comedians are some of the smartest people we know. All right. Some of the most. I just have to take my, one of my newest Easter anecdotes. Let's hear it. So yesterday I was in Gothenburg before this uh, show, and I, I met with a friend, uh, painter Oskar Nilsson, which I'm also going to write about his work for a little publication. And we went to have uh, lunch at this local Hare Krishna place, Govindas. I haven't been eating in one of those Govindas since the 90s, you know, so it was like, well, this is exciting. What's it like in Govindas in 2018? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Anyways, um, uh, these two dudes, the Krishna dudes, were, were handing out the food. And uh, then one of them was going to, I guess he was off work or whatever. So he said like, uh, well, I'm off. Uh, happy Easter. And I just jumped at it. It's like, what? Krishna? Happy Easter. And the other guy says, see you on Monday. And the first one says, Inshallah. And then they both giggle. And I'm like, hold on. Wait, did you just make a faith joke there? Interfacial joke? And he, yeah, did you hear that? 
Hare Krishna has a sense of humor in 2018. This That's is, good. This big is up, good. Big up, big up, big up. Because they are famously, at least in the 90s, not very very, humorous. very unfunny. Too serious. They were super sweet and all that, but totally, totally, totally without sense of humor. Was the food good? Yeah, it was. I mean, yes, it was good. It was good. I like vegetarian food and vegan yeah. food. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I've been a veggie head since I was 17. So, the, I mean, it's been a few years now. But mm. at times, I'm not big on some of those, like, Krishna uh, lentil uh, porridges thingy majiggies. But, yeah. but these were good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me, I was I, curious earlier about um, if you live alone. Because you mentioned that yeah. you are out in the country and yeah. that you have time and stuff. Do you do you have other responsibilities to cohabitation? Now, um, okay, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, my living situation. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of, li- yeah, I live alone. Uh, I live with a cat. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm crazy cat lady, basically. Mm. Now, but but it was very important. I mean, before I found this place I live, uh, my what I call my kingdom, Um it's an old uh, water mill from the mid mid eighteen fifty four. Three three buildings, a little lake, some forest, and uh, yeah, it's just sounds amazing. It's great. I'm building up a lot of uh, different uh, fantastic things there as well. <clears throat> but before that happened, I I uh, I mean, I I called it my Saddam Hussein days. It was like not more than two days in the same bed, more or less. Mm. I, I I had in the end in some craziness I, I had like three studios in different countries oh my god but no home that sounds horrible yeah yeah it was it was and this was all built uh, i mean it, people get uh, would ask where i lived and i would make that up because if i said i don't live anywhere people got really panicked about it so anyway right, like, where's one, my wallet where's my wallet <laughs> when i when i finally found this place i've been looking a long time for this place uh there was so I, I I had so much need and urge to create my own world mm-hmm. um, that uh, well basically I, I mean I, I think there might be living might be people coming into the place because it's pretty huge yeah uh, but to start off with I had to do everything by myself mm. I had to like every little detail and I'm a big fan of details mm. I had to be able to. F- everything yeah i mean the reason i asked wasn't to put you on the spot but it's more like this this total art life right or whatever the hell you call it and and how much you're dedicated to that if you actually have to get away if you have to run away to build your own kingdom as you say or whether it just is just the right thing or you know how that well, all no but together. i mean I, i'm in a very privileged position in the sense that uh i have uh, i have a kid but she's grown up now i have a kid very early on mm. in life uh, um, and I luckily make enough money to not have to be in a specific place for a uh, to be able to have a salary, and uh, my um, relations with either family or or love ha- is not either like put in one place. So basically, I could go anywhere I want. That's the dream, right? It's good, yeah, of course. And that was part of why it took so long to find this place because if you don't, if you could go anywhere, well, wh- where do you stop then, you know? So maybe here or maybe there. But yeah, I'm very much, if you look at it from, yeah, I'm living that total arty. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, really. I mean, <laughs> I know, but I walk around there like some goddamn. Does it feel right? It, no, it, it, yeah, I mean, I'm, 
it's really cheesy, but the house, uh, the place uh, is called in Swedish Kärleken. It's because it's a love affair. It's like the, it's like this house has been waiting for me, and finally I came there, and our relation is just uh, it's immense, it's intense, um, and I travel quite a lot for work. Hmm. But now, I mean, and I love traveling, and hang, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here in Glipsteket talking to to a guy uh, on a, on a microphone, and you know, it's fantastic. You drove 300 kilometers. I drove 300 kilometers. Had to drink with the Goth- uh, Gothenburgians. I think as well. you might win the award for uh, longest travel to come uh, on the show. Uh huh. But um, I mean, I always go back. I know there's my safe haven, like my kingdom. Right. And that's important, I guess, because that's the kind of thing I'm trying to build right now, and it takes a long time. I bet, yeah. But I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not sure how it works, but it's harder in the city as well. Because you have to relate, of course, to people being closer to you and space being uh, more expensive, etc., etc. There's a lot more pressure for space here in that sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, you look like a guy like Talar, yeah. who was on the show. Yeah. His, he has the dream studio, right? Yeah. It's enormous. It's in the middle of town. It's beautiful. Yeah. But he's fucking Talar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <he laughs> you know, there's not a lot of Talars. Like, exactly. You know, and it's maybe not totally realistic to, no. to aim for that. Exactly. You know, it's more about day-to-day right now, really. Yeah. But um, but I mean, I, I feel like we're di- we're not actually talking about your work, which no. is which is a hard thing to talk about, right? Yeah. Because, um, well, wh- where we came from, uh, I just want to say that uh, part of the reason w- it took us a long time to actually meet. We were uh, sort of uh, blind dated by Janet Steinsland, a fantastic woman, and also my she gallery. She's so sweet. Yeah, up in Stockholm, she like she sent this uh, mutual email and said. You two have to meet. And mm. then we really wanted to meet, but we didn't really get around to it. And you had a kid, and uh, I had a house, and God knows what else happened. But then, And hats off to you for actually uh, working at it. You were good. You sent yeah. emails every couple yeah. of months to say, yeah. hey. Yeah. So, and, but it, well, what, part of why we're here now, uh, maybe you don't even remember, but uh, it is also because I'm opening a show at uh, Jeanette's Gallery on the 20th of April, which is like the major, it's the big thing in my life right now. I had forgotten that is correct. Yeah. It's no worries, it but I, timing, yeah. I thought it was a good timing to just have a chit chat about things because it's really all my uh, frustration, love, uh, ecstasy and uh, desperation is at this moment very much like uh, like concentrated to this show at so uh, which one of those is on top right now Uh, see I've been thinking about (laughs) my neighbor thought I was really moany because I was uh, uh, okay I'm constantly thinking about these uh, two pieces which I fucked up and I don't know how to to uh, to sort it out to unfuck them to unfuck them it's a total fucking clusterfuck mm-hmm. fuck mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and the thing is I think those pieces are important I mean I make more or less important I mean it's not like every piece is a piece might be wonderful but not important but then there are the important pieces Do you mean important or successful no important as in it might matter in a, in longer uh, in a scope like uh, this might be a central point in m- my taking a step in what I do I mean I constantly explore all these materials and go in different directions but then once in a while I feel 
this is could be a really important part of what will develop me you know, mm-hmm. into it feels, the it feels like it's the right it's a, it's a yeah. yeah it's a step that means something yeah uh, and these are that but they are not working out i'm trying to come to part of me just wants to turn the car around and drive home and like Last night when I was a bit drunk, I actually thought about taking my chainsaw and sewing them into two pieces. I thought maybe that's the way to work them out. And So it's really in there. It's in your head right it's now. It's really all over. Um, but now I'm also trying to come to terms with maybe I will have to not include them in the show. Because usually when, when things take um, way Why do you give them to the beaver? You mean my assistant? Yeah. <laughs> Let him, have, him or her have a go at it. Yeah. No, no, that, that's not a bad idea. Or something that represents the beaver, or yeah. something like. That. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you have to walk away sometimes, though. That's true. Yeah, We've learned yeah. that you know that sometimes you just keep trying to, trying to fucking force something into shape without yeah. knowing what shape it's supposed to be in, and it just doesn't work. No, and uh, these like endless like just reconstruct. I mean, I love failure and mistake. I mean, it's sort of part of what I do. Mm. It's like um, anything without a risk and a nerve is uh, for me totally um, i wouldn't say uninteresting but it's just not uh, i don't feel it really mm. it has to have that nerve it's also the reason by the way why i stopped making those drawings mm. because simply enough i knew too well how to make them i could just make them bigger and more detailed but uh, there was no i don't know there was no risk in there there's no tension no i i knew how to do it exactly so then they sort of yeah. Well, it does seem like your work, in a way, is in a slow motion explosion, right? It's exploding outwards. It's like it's like a supernova in a way. Like you start with a with a little drawing on a scratch paper, and now you're at the point now where it's just, you know, really I, uh, exploded all over the place. That it might be the best definition. I'm going to steal this one from you. Cheers, uh, my friend. <laughs> uh, I had a conversation with a. Uh, a woman named Anna on the phone, also driving down, and I, I was because I was going to talk to you. I said, like, would you could you define my work, uh, Anna? Like, talk, tell me what my work is about in few short sentences. And she ended up like talking for uh, seven and a half minutes, <laughs> and it's like that is not two sentences. We're trained to do that, though. Yeah. To her defense, that is what we're told to Certainly. do constantly. But Anna, slow motion explosion. I think it even rhymes. It's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. So what's up with the show? I mean, okay, what are you trying to do here? Let's let's break it down in terms of this. Yeah. You uh, you get a phone call from our favorite gallerist, yeah. and she says to you, Jonas, it's time. You haven't had a show since check yeah. this out, 2014 at the gallery. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's time for you to have a show. And since Why, I'm you, such you, did, an, you did your homework. I looked a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but and since I'm such an awesome gallerist, I'm not going to tell you at all what to do. I'm just going to give you a date. And then you go for it. What, it. what do you think? Well, like, what happens then? What are you going through? Do you have pieces ready to go? Or are you no. starting from nothing? Usually I always make... I mean, I work in highs and lows. I make also, like, a lot of shows. Some very ambitious and huge. And some just tiny little things. in like, uh, around the corner. And play, you know, but... But I always have to put a lot of energy into it. doesn't matter if it's big or small because those times when I will try to do it with nonchalance and laziness, I mean, just whatever, this is okay. Those are the moments when, yeah, I mean, I really regret. The only regrets, really. But for this one, I mean, um, she came, I mean, she's, she's a great, um, she's not only a great gallerist, she's also like a... a 
on a, on a personal level also she's uh, i mean she's a very loyal uh, i would say friend mm. so and uh, she came down to my place and hung out for 24 hours and we discussed the work and what we wanted to do and what our aims and hopes were she has uh, more or less never given me any directions and things but this time i felt it was important as it doing a show like this is actually sort of a teamwork if it's a good gallerist it's a teamwork thingy where of course i have to be the captain on the ship but it's good because we we're going to build and you know set this sailing together so therefore i wanted us to really i wanted her to talk about what she thought mm. and i wanted us to sort of do it together basically well this is the this is you know this is where the rubber hits the road when you talk about gallerists yeah. supporting and developing artists yeah and that is also something that's pretty important because a lot of people think a gallerist should just fuck off and stay yeah. the fuck out of it. Yeah. But if you have a relationship that's good, then they can actually be useful. Yeah. Uh, and then the problem quickly becomes separating pleasure and business. <laughs> of course. I mean, don't shit where you eat. But, um, I mean, this depends really on, of course, I mean, gallerists are, are the hardest ones out there. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with like journalists and museum directors, curators and critics and and art students and what what have you. But uh, galleries are the hard ones. Like how the fuck do you approach even now I've been around this business for so long and most gallerists I have to say don't work um don't work work very hard um with or for uh, artists within the gallery. There are very few exceptions where I have been truly feeling that this is, uh, of course, that makes me devote myself to them as well if they devote themselves to me. Sure. But generally, you're let's just like, yeah, they'll, they'll do a show and then uh, they'll have a couple of things in the back which might uh, dust uh, you know, uh, while they do the next show and they don't really worry too much about it. Right. Um, well, it seems like most galleries focus on one or two artists at a time. And everyone that. else is just kind of like a, yeah. a place place filler. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, this is also something which has to be... It's very hard as an artist, whether... Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're just like straight out of art academy or if you're, you've been around for 20 years. You are always in a weaker position towards the gallery. Um, right, and, especially starting out because you're so desperate yeah. for some sort of... Um, well, I, Traction. Would, I wouldn't say that the, I mean, even uh, the ones who've been around for a while and generally look successful, but you're always like nervous. That, what, what if I like, what if I do a bad show or what I mean, I what if I don't, up? yeah, what if I don't sell? What if it goes really bad? Maybe, you know, I'll be dropped by a gallery and there are not so many galleries around and who's going to take care of me then? Well, usually you have to take care of yourself. That's generally what I did as a one man band, but, um, and it's it's a power position which uh, I think it's important to uh, to bring to light because also I noticed a lot of gallerists might not even understand that they act badly towards their artists because the artists are too scared to say anything about the situation because they're worried about the so it it's a it's hard thing it's complicated and and uh, gallery 
running a gallery is no easy feat either. There's no, a lot of survival no. tactics that need to happen Certainly. in order to get in. No, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that they're all uh, like a bunch of greedy fuckers sitting on top of their mountain of of uh, cash. It's nothing like that. No. Of course, it's really There's tough. There's a few of them like that, but not as many as you'd think. No, exactly. But it's it. Uh, I I would hope it's hard enough to like navigate this sea of shit anyway. So I mean, it's. Um, I would say that something we have to do within the art world is to be more both generous and open. And I'm not saying like uh, that we have to like give each other everything, but you know, to help each other out, give advice, give uh, you know the one. So and this goes between artists, between students, between uh, gallerists and curators. You know, let's help each other out. It's not a very big world. It's really not, and I can't really see how it hurts you. I, uh, I occasionally. Throughout my years of being here, I've developed somewhat of a network. Let's just mm-hmm. say it that way. And occasionally, I'll I'll like talk to someone and say, "Hey, you know what? I think you need to meet this person." Yeah. And they're always so like, "Oh my god, thank you so much." Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, that's just they make sense to me yeah. to do this. Like, I'm not actually really doing much to help you, to be honest. No. I'm just I see a connection. Let's I'll just go ahead and do yeah. that. You know. Yeah. And people are blown away. Yeah. And I guess there is a there's a certain type of person who's very defensive about their yeah. contacts and their well, setup, but it doesn't seem like I need people to help me. I know I'm in a position where I need people exactly. to help me if I'm going to ever get anywhere. But I, I discussed this with some of my um, former students. I, I, I do guest lectures at a bunch of like art schools and things like that and uh, keep in touch with some of them as their development rolls on. And we discussed how is it now... Because I found in my generation there was sadly a lot of this like uh, don't mention the, if you find out about a grant keep that quiet if you have a con- you know too much of that shit. But uh, this um, person he he claimed that he experienced that artists in his generation were sharing quite a lot of things, and I hope that would be true. And also artists need each other because there is no union. There is no representation. No. There no. is no one out here looking out for us, really. So we have to look out for each other. And that's yeah, us. or we just like uh, rent a big Russian mob with big, uh, big. Do you have the phone number for that? Because I actually lost mine. My phone died. I dropped it in the harbor and no, I don't no. have that phone number. Yeah, anymore. no, I tattooed it on my ass at the age <laughs> of four. Um, I want to hear about, speaking of crazy shit. Your museum. Oh, yeah. You're building a fucking museum? I'm glad you mentioned it. And, uh, yes, currently my museum is uh, is showing in a pop-up version at uh, Skövde Art Museum in Sweden. They're hosting me. It just opened last week, actually. A sort of, um, yeah, a version, you could say. Mm. Uh, But I'm... I'm not finished yet, like that kind of amateur builder, visionary I am. Uh, I mean, everything takes longer than you think. Will you finish? Oh, for sure. No worries. I mean, uh, you wouldn't imagine what I've done. But I am ho- opening what I call a, also like, it's it's a it's a play of uh, language and words, but it's called Den Liverödska Wunderkammaren. Which, of course, there's no word Wunderkammere in Swedish, but it's from the German word Wunderkammer. Right, which, which means, I think is accepted in English. The wonder yeah. box, the box of wonders, or the, yeah, cabinet, the, the cabinet of wonders. The Livrodian Wunderkammer yeah. would work well, but I think that it's kind of sloppily in Swedish that it goes into Wunderkammeren, which is, you just made that up, moment. 
which is part the, the the line between fact and fiction is uh, is very blurred here, and I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, I, I have this uh, constantly growing collection of. Uh, uh, for lack of a better word, oddities or things that uh, confound, astound, and confuse. So these are things you've picked up throughout the years yeah, and not yeah. wanted to get rid of. True. I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, yes, I am a huge collector. I'm a collector of many things, uh, but this the livre of Kavundekammeren is uh, a sort of unsentimental uh, uh, contemporary cabinet of curiosities. The blog is nice. Thanks, man. I'm really happy about uh, you checking into that one. Uh, I, yeah, I used the blog as uh, some sort of a. Uh, it was a the play. It's I an thought, exhibition of items, yes. right? I mean, damn. Hey, listen to that, dude. <laughs> you do that as well. I thought it was just. I didn't think anybody looked in. Well, I know there's one or two, and and there are people who write once in a while and say like this is the best thing out there on the blah de blah. Mm. Um, but of course, I know they they are about twelve people uh, a week. Or aren't something. they amazing? Those twelve people. Oh, I love them. <laughs> so, yeah. but I mean, look, we all collect j- shit, right? J- just uh, to so, hmm? there is a physical space. It's in the top floor of my mill, which I'm currently rebuilding into the. And you want to have a public come and look, right? It should definitely be public uh, thing, but it's uh, what we in Swedish call öppetider efter behag, which means mm. opening times at my leisure. Which means that's not that, quite what that means. That means after uh, desire, right? Yeah, sort of. Whatever. Whose I'm, desire it does not <laughs> specify, though. We'll see. I mean, I love I love collecting. I love the 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 the. The stories of things and what they do to us. Mm. I mean, and I'm not too concerned with uh, that little, like, um, like the edge between fact and fiction. I love things which I do not understand myself as well. I mean, and uh, I love to find things that I cannot categorize, that is hard to place. Those things need a space, and this is pretty much what it is. But if being that good old museum director, I can't, like... Uh, have a day-to-day uh, museum being open. I'll have it open to... It's going to be generous. And f- for those who ask, I will open. And you have a studio at home, I assume. So yeah. after Behag or whatever you said. Yeah, then, uh... exactly. Now I have, I, like, I have a studio and I'm also building an artist residency with its own apartment and its own guest right, studio. Hold on a second. What, why are you doing so many things at once? Why aren't you just making art? Yeah. Why aren't you I just making your? I, 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 I can. We can do another hour on that. Yeah. But okay. My short answer is because it enriches my life. Yeah. I just. Find, I never understood. I mean, making art has all been the backbone and the center point of my life for as long now as I or more or less can remember. It's also what I make most of my money from. Mm. Um, but I've always been interested in a lot of other things, and uh, I mean. It used to be called. I used to be called in the early 2000s. I was called uh, unfocused. Then around 2006, it was called eclectic, and after that, it's been all right. But I mean, generally, uh, it's very hard to. I'm very curious about the world, and that sounds like uh, is, that sounds really silly. But I, I don't really know any other way of putting it right now. It's uh, and I, I I couldn't see why, uh, why why some things work well as an art piece, other things work well in other contexts. Well put. And to me, 
it draws a very good it, it answers a question I ask myself because we again this brings us all the way around back to this idea of a practice and art as a job and shit yeah. but no it's all a life and it's all connected right yeah. there's a line between this microphone I'm talking into and my own practice even yeah. if it's not visible to yeah. anybody else to the people I talk to to the job I do to make money to the you know all these things it yeah. is actually all connected and yeah. that's why perhaps it isn't a practice but a a um what is it? What's the word? I want to say style of life, but not really. Lifestyle sounds like the type of shoes I buy. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like where you're going it? here now. Yeah. But what is it? That's the thing exactly. I'm, I'm still missing. What's better than practice? What's what's more real? Yeah. I, I was looking into things like uh, words. I don't have the answer. I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling at the moment as well. There were words like mission or or. Uh, no, I really let. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that was not the right one. Um, <laughs> so this is the second competition of the evening, um, folks of the world. <clears throat> will you help us actually putting verbalizing this? What right. are we up to? And what is a non-shitty way to talk about following your passion in every aspect? Yes, about falling in love with your work. Yeah, and maintaining that somehow. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! You should, we're both like getting a bit teary-eyed over. Here. <laughs> it's so real. I mean, yeah. it's just so yeah. real life yeah. that kind yeah. of stuff. And like, I, you know, okay, not to, to hang my wife out to dry here, but she talks about. But you're like, gonna do that anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Uh, she's like a hundred episodes behind, so it'll be a long time before yeah, she yeah, has okay, it. Great, great. Um, but she talks a lot about how art is a career. Yeah, and it always rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, because I'm always like. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's an ego thing because I want to be more important than a banker yeah. or, or whatever the fuck. But I feel like it's more connected to the idea of being alive and the act of being alive than a career is. True. But then again, I have a lot of, uh, throughout the years, I've met a lot of um, colleagues who find struggle to make the stuff they're not too happy when they make the stuff um and when they show it, they're not too happy about showing it and there's not too many people seeing it and they're also not making any money from it and generally being fairly unhappy but then it's as, just because you once stumbled into the through the door of an art school it's suddenly like a, a sacred call from god right and giving I, up is a terrible terrible yeah, thing so i just also want to make sure that we talk about this i have on several occasions throughout this uh, bumpy career uh, considered uh, leaving art i mean it is it's, it's such a big but you have to do it actively you cannot passively leave art you have to you have to make an announcement you have to throw yeah, a party a divorce party you do but then when I didn't up till now, but uh, I really think that the, what you're supposed to do is to try to be, uh, well, as happy as possible. Um, and maybe, uh, well, I don't know, whatever words you want to use, but it doesn't necessarily have to come through art. You know, you, you can, if you're, if you're better off like dealing with gardening, I mean, go gardening. If you're happier building a, a museum of your oddities collection and finding more oddities, I don't mean you, I mean in general. Then that makes more sense. If you're into eating your own flesh, folks, go eat your own flesh. <laughs> Absolutely, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. As long as it's your own flesh or not. No, but it's true, and and we do get we do get twisted up. Like sometimes you lose sight of why you do this. Yeah. 
because of a goal you set. Yeah. And that is tough. Yeah. Um, so you're the one in charge of this uh, conversation. I am. Uh, oh, shit. I, well, I, I was hoping <laughs> uh, for, for if anybody should still be like listening and now after how long have we been talking like 45 minutes i guess nope an hour and one minute oh my We're god have to wrap it up yeah so. we should wrap it up I, i'm trying to do this well i mean i i love this one I, i'm i'm just like sort of soon gonna roll down here next to the palm tree and like we, maybe we should have like a little drink next to us and like put our sunglasses on and wave to the audience right in this case we have to start actually <laughs> looking yeah. good yeah exactly but uh no let's wrap it up with this yeah you have a show yeah. the 19th of april It's called the Faust Flip. The Faust Flip, and it's uh, actually uh, I'm, uh, it's an orgy of textile madness. I'm, uh, uh, I'm 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 going all textile on your ass. And I'm not gonna make you explain that. I think people should just go see the show. Yeah, it's in it, Stockholm. It's in Stockholm. It's at uh, the gallery called Steinsland Berliner, run by the duo Jakob Berliner and Jeanette Steinsland. Excellent folks. Uh, love love them and. Uh, Well, I'm really hoping that I can live up to my own and their ambitions for this show. Here's to that. Cheers, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music was kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by my boy Kenton, a.k.a. Frenchy Smarty Shorty Pants, a.k.a. The Beatbox Machine. You can find links to the music and tons of other conversations with great people on our beatbox competition of a website, culturalbandwidth.com. If you do like the show, we would appreciate it if you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It will help others find us. Thanks so much for joining us and go see Jonas's show. It's on Friday. 